Welcome to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. I'm Drew Carpenter, your host on the podcast for all kinds of ministers and other followers of Jesus who work in relative obscurity. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Justin Douglas. Justin is the founder and lead pastor of the Belong Collective. He has been serving in ministry for more than 15 years and has a formidable blend of community service knowledge and experience. He is motivated and inspired to bridge gaps and create more spaces of belonging and acceptance. Justin also hosts Beyond Boundaries, a long-form podcast where he interviews intriguing people about various subjects, always desiring to get beyond the soundbite and handle tough topics. Justin's also married to Brittany and is the proud father to Magnolia, Beckett, and Reed. He likes to create music, stays fit via CrossFit, and apparently cheers on the Boston Red Sox. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, welcome (laughs) to the podcast, Justin. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Drew. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Well, so you agreed. Well, I'll tell you what. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your current ministry context, what you do, who you do it with, those types of things. Yeah, well, I mean, the ministry context has vastly changed with everything going on in a lot of ways, but uh, I, I am the pastor of the Belong Collective. We're coming up on a year um, as a as an organization um, next month, and um, it's a church. Uh, we meet in Harrisburg area. We're from kind of all over um, central PA area. And, uh, and yeah, we're, a we're a very accepting church. Um, you know, really Jesus at the center and love at the center and trying to do ministry to all people, especially those at the margins. And that's really where our heart is. Um, yeah. And I'm willing to talk more. I can go deeper into that, but that's that's our context. And and currently, the context is that we're doing digital gatherings every week and um, working through how all of this new reality, you know, looks for churches. And so uh, that's been a challenge from a, a ministry context. But typically, we, we would be meeting and gathering in. We actually meet in a bar. We rent a bar, so um, so we would be meeting in that space uh, weekly. But right now, it's it's all digital. Yeah. Now is that bar? I think I've seen video footage. It's kind of like a ballroom setup, like an yeah, old school so, ballroom. So it's actually like, a, I mean, I say a bar, it's a music venue slash bar it, it, slash restaurant. So it, it has, a, um, the main floor is like a large restaurant a large restaurant. And then, um, uh, with, with a bar and then they have two other bars, one that's upstairs, which is the ballroom room, which is also, also has a bar. And then, um, they have something called stage on her, which is off to the side it's a smaller venue, um, like music venue area and also has a bar. And so we, we rotate between the stage on her room and the, the ballroom, the Capitol ballroom, um, just depending upon what was there the night before and whether or not it's clean or <laughs> what's, what's going on that morning. You know right. what I mean? So, uh, yeah. so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting being a setup and tear down church. It definitely creates a lot of challenges. Um, but one of the refreshing things is how many people are willing to step into that space um, and give church a chance that maybe are, you know, we, we meet a lot of people who are deconstructing their faith and figuring out what is going to live in its place, what, what they've torn down, you know, what, what reconstruction is possible. And uh, much of that 
is really hard to take place in a traditional church building and a traditional church space because um, maybe some of the hurt and pain from what's taken place in their story in the past. And so being in a non-traditional space for us has been a benefit in that way. Um, it kind of disarms people who maybe have uh, their skepticism and, and, and maybe even reasons to be skeptical of the church. So, Very good. So you agreed to come on the Obscure Pastor podcast. Do you consider yourself to be obscure? Uh, very much, yeah. <laughs> um, I think so because, well, one of the things I was thinking about because I knew I was going to get asked this question was, uh, you know, what's really interesting is I always, I always call myself kind of a, a, a paradox of a pastor because like most people when, you know, when you meet somebody new, like I, I recently met some of my neighbors and um we just got talking and these are neighbors I hadn't met yet. And, um, and as we were talking, the, the inevitable question comes of what do you do? And I'm not going to lie. There's times where I'm like, I'm a teacher. And then they're like, what grade? And it's like, okay, it's not like that. I can't just say that. I got to like actually tell them I'm a pastor, um, which isn't like something I'm ashamed of. It's just more the look that I get after I say I'm a pastor is usually always the same. <laughs> right. They quit behaving. Like, they, they start behaving around you or something. <laughs> well, <right? laughs> okay. That happens. Yes, that happens, which I can't stand. It's like they now have to apologize for every curse word they said over the last 20 minutes before they found out I was a pastor, which bothers me. But mm-hmm. then also it's the like, you have tattoos and gauged earrings and you know, you don't look like a pastor, you know, and then one of two things happen. So, do you work at a Bible believing church might be the next question or, or, um, which is always an interesting conversation, or it's just this feeling of like, of like, I don't understand how that works. You know what I mean? It doesn't fit their paradigm, which I actually think can be a really good thing. It can open a conversation. Um, so I, I tend to use it to my advantage to open a conversation, but yeah, I think, I think I'm a little bit of an obscure person in the sense that I like I like to dive into a lot of different things. I love music. I grew up playing music. I played in bands in college. Like um, I write music. I, I love that um, artistic expression. I love information in general. Re- I mean, reading books. I, I, I I'm an auditory learner, so I tend to do audio books, podcasts, and um, then I launched Beyond Boundaries just because I felt like. Um, there was a lot of things that I had been learning that I had been sharing with friends and, and, and stories that I had had from people I had talked to. In essence, there was just a lot of meaningful conversations that I was having over coffee with people that I was like, man, if other people could join this conversation or just listen in, like it would be so helpful. I think I wish someone would have like recorded these conversations five years ago and I would have had them, you know? And so I wanted to do that for people. Um, and, and, and I also do video editing. I mean, I just, I have a lot of various things that I enjoy, uh, CrossFit obviously. And so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a CrossFit trainer. I have a gym that I coach at. So like, I think I'm a little obscure because I don't necessarily pick a lane and stay in it. I'm kind of always like, Oh, that's a new idea, a new thing. Let me jump into that and see, you know? And, uh, and I think a lot of people, you know, become, I don't know that I'm an expert in any of the lanes that I'm in, but I like to be in a lot of lanes. I don't know. So that's a little bit obscure too. So, and I guess, you know, uh, I mean, just my church background, I think is a little obscure being from a variety of denominations. I think I have a little bit of like, when someone comes to us, to our 
gathering from like a more Pentecostal background, I can understand where they're coming from or if they mm-hmm. come from a, a Baptist background or, you know, cause I've, I've had a little bit of experience in each of those. So that's some obscureness as a pastor too. So, yeah. Well, cool. Well, so you mentioned the podcast, we had mentioned the podcast earlier when I introduced you, I would like to, and you talked about kind of why you started, you want to have a conversation. That's a lot of the reason why I want to have this is just to have conversations with just quote unquote, normal pastors that aren't famous. Some people that I've had on, some people that I have on have pretty good platforms, you know, and I'll have other people on that have pretty good platforms. Really the obscure pastor is me and I'm just interviewing pastors and friends and stuff. And so, but uh, so what for you has been the challenge of hosting that podcast and, you know, navigating tough subjects with guests, things like that. And then what's also, what's been the reward? The second part of that is, you know, Mm. so what's been the challenging aspect of it besides just maybe the technical things um, and what's been the most rewarding Wow. That's really good. Um, so challenging is, you know, realizing that interviewing people for a podcast platform is a little bit different than a conversation over coffee. (laughs) Mm. Um, you, you have people a little more cautious because they know they're being recorded. Right. So, um, so learning how to navigate that has been interesting. Learning how to be an interviewer, how to have conversation, when to, you know, what questions are important to ask at that time. So I think coming at it from more of like a, okay, I need to learn at least like journalism 101 here to some degree. I'm not a journalist in any way, shape or form, but like if we're, if I, if this is going to be interesting, I need to learn how to ask questions and how to dive into that, but also keep it loose and not lose who I am in the process the other parts that are difficult are just determining like what to talk about. Like I I want it to be very personal. So obviously on, on beyond boundaries, we've, we've covered a lot on LGBT issues because that's been very, um, you know, that's been part of my journey and story over the last couple of years, um, in being a pastor and navigating that conversation. So like, I, but that's not all I want to cover on that podcast. So also like thinking through like, okay, I have some opportunities to interview some people on this, but have we already really covered that? Or should I, should I talk with that person? You know, like even thinking about those types of things is a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Cause I never really want to say no to a, a potential good interview. Um, and some of the really good things that have come out of it are just like people who, who write me notes or send me comments or, or, or share with me like that an interview I did a year ago really it helped them. And it's like, wow, okay, cool. And it's not me. It's the person that, that was on, you know, that, that, right. that helped them. But I had a, a role in chronicling that conversation, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and that person's work and that person's heart. And, and, uh, I, I think it's, a you know, uh, a way of like time stamping that and saying like, wow, this was a year ago, but it's, it's still out there and it's still, people are still getting something out of it. You know, like here's an example, like right now in our world, we have all these conspiracy theories that are bubbling to the surface with like coronavirus and everything. And, and we've always had conspiracy theories, but like, so I said, I want to talk about conspiracy theories and me and my friend, Ryan, we always talk about conspiracy theories, just like (laughs) we'll talk about it over like, you know, you know, coffee or whatever. But like, um, I wanted to also bring a doctor in to talk about it. So Nate, who's been on my podcast multiple times, Nate, Ryan, and I 
all talk about conspiracy theories on the next episode that that's coming out. And it's like, I, I think that's really valuable. The content we did there because truth really matters right now in the midst of all of this. And, and so I want valuable content, but I also want fun content. And that that's a little bit of a challenge at times too. It's good, but it's also a challenge um, because, you know, um, covering something like conspiracy theories in our world today is a challenge um, when you know there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about it, but also being willing to put yourself out there and say, hey, we need to do this in a healthy way. These conversations that 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 can be that can be a a, a little bit of like a challenging thing to do, but I think as pastors and as anybody putting information out, but I think pastors even have a higher calling to truth. And so, so trying to use that space in that way, I mean, I know this is kind of like a rambling on answer, but ultimately just trying to say, like, I wanted something that meaningfully documented what I was thinking in those moments and the people I was talking to, what they were thinking and hopeful, hopefully that would connect with people. And it seems like in a lot of ways it has. It's really good. I and not rambly at all. <laughs> what do I know about that? <laughs> well, I, I do. A, I do a long form podcast, so it's a little more rambly usually. <laughs> it seemed pretty coherent to me. I just, you know, and I it, kind of think about the conspiracy theory stuff and just yeah. being able to. I, it's really difficult to have those conversations because there's a tendency to already kind of have your mind made up and the other person maybe is already shut down and maybe I'm shut down or yeah. whatever. And just using myself in that example is just it, those are hard conversations and that's hard. Anytime there's like a, a divide, right. Yeah. Whether it's political mm-hmm. or theological or <laughs> truth versus flat earth or whatever, you know? And so those are always difficult to come at because people, are skeptical, you know, and they may be skeptical of the government, but they're also skeptical of science or whatever. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that that's, those are important conversations to have. And I think if we can do those in a way that doesn't feel, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? If we can do it in a way that doesn't feel like, well, we have this superiority about us that makes us right about this. Yeah. And all these other people are just haters or whatever. Then mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's the challenge. And I think that, you know, I'm old. And so I kind of go, okay, I'm not woke enough. I get it. But I know that I know that I'm trying, you know, <laughs> has there been some challenges in the midst of, of recording those conversations and pulling those together? There's got to be some awkward moments in there where you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. I mean, if you want me to be my rawest and my realist, I'll tell you the biggest challenge I had um, was last year when I went to Q Conference, and uh, that's a theological uh, or Christ-based conference on LGBT uh, QIA uh, matters, and I interviewed some really interesting people and heard some some inspiring but also heartbreaking stories and. Mm documented those um and then came home with like five episodes and not really sure how to release them while I was in a denomination that I knew would struggle with some of that um and then also having my own shift theologically taking place in that time 
um, and determining like how best to release these um, in the midst of, you know, conversations. And so Mm -hmm. um, sometimes recognizing that like you're evolving as an individual and have an opportunity to release something that might cost you something Mm -hmm. um, or might create a conversation that down the road could cost you something. Um, yeah, that, that was a little bit difficult. And, uh, but at the same time I look back and like, I'm having a conversation with a former student in that I used to be a youth pastor. So a former student in my youth group now who asked me about, you know, my beliefs on LGBT issues and I'm, and I don't have to have that conversation. I can just be like, Hey, could you go listen to episode eight of the podcast? And then like, let's talk after that. Like, and now they have a, I have a concise, like, here it is. Here's, here's what I believe. Here's why I believe it. Like, um, and you know, if you change, you can always go, okay, I got to record uh, another one. Right. <laughs> well, and the expectation by the way, is that I will change like, right. Um, how, I don't know. I, I, I just watched the beastie boys documentary on Apple TV and, uh, and they, they kind of talk a lot about their change as musicians from these kind of like, you know, party animal young kids to, mm-hmm. to kind of their, their, their process. And, and one of the things, you know, uh, they say is like, like someone came at me, like, how dare you, you know, act like, you know, you're, you're pro woman when you had these lyrics back here that said this. And it's like, it's like, when, when do you get like penalized for changing for the better? Like, what Mm. is this about? Like, I mean, you can have that period in your life back here where you just didn't know where you maybe even glorified the, the terrible thing that you didn't know was terrible. Um, but like, does that mean that like, if you change, you're just done forever because you had that back here? Like, I I don't believe that. I think, I think that's the beauty of grace and forgiveness. And that doesn't mean there's not consequences to what, you know, we believed back here, but I, I, I have the mindset that like, I'm always evolving that I don't, I don't want to see anything that I don't want to see anything so narrowly to not think that it can expand in the future. And so, so yeah, this same thing with that, like podcast episode, um, uh, I, I would definitely want to go back and listen and, you know, and, and make sure that like, I even believe everything I said there, uh, down the road, you know, cause, uh, I am always, you know, growing and, and learning. And so, so yeah, but it's a, it's an interesting challenge sometimes when you have content that, you know, certain people are going to struggle, um, to hear or that it might cost you something. That's a, that's an, you know, and that's not just a podcast phenomenon. That's a pastoral phenomenon too. Cause so much of what pastors, um, you know, the convictions pastors have are often, um, I don't know. Uh, one of the things I struggled with as a pastor and, and don't struggle with as much anymore was my identity being sometimes simply what people wanted from me, um, and not so much who I actually was. And what I started learning over time was that when I actually said the thing that I was like, this just needs to be said. And like everything in me saying this has to be said, but like, I think it might cost me something. It usually cost me something, but it also like connected me in such a deeper way to the people that were like really there, you know? Um, and, and I, I just, I just think like we need those, we, we need to be courageous and bold in that way. At least I felt the calling to do that back there, but that was definitely a hard moment in the podcast. Like you, you asked about that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was a hard moment where it was like, okay, how real and raw am I going to be here? How exposed am I going to be on this thing? And, and I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to, 
we're going to do it that way. And I'm going to be me 100%. Um, and I haven't stopped doing that since then. So yeah. That's good. Good for you, man. I, it took courage to stand for what you believe was the right things to do. Whenever you're, whenever you're having a tough time like that, where do you look for inspiration? What, what keeps you going in the midst of that? You know, I'm really glad you asked that because I wanted to find a way to say this. And that question allows me the perfect opportunity to say this. Um, one of the things I was never taught in any theological training or given by any pastor like along the way was the value of having a community outside of your church community as a pastor. Um, I obviously I'm in prayer. Obviously I'm, I'm, I'm doing spiritual practices to keep me connected to God and others. But for so many of us as pastors, we dive so deep into our work and it is in a lot of ways all consuming that our only friendship our, our, our only friendships are typically built by people that we are also pastoring. Mm-hmm. And it makes, it makes it really hard when you come up against difficulty in your, in your you know, pastoral career or difficulty just in, in the church of, of any kind, because now your, pa- your, your friend that you're pastoring also has an opinion about how good you're doing at your job <laughs> or has an opinion about what you believe. Here's the thing. Most friends don't give a rip what you believe. Like, not that they don't care what you believe, but like if you changed your belief on something, it's like, okay, so we're still hanging out. Like this isn't, <laughs> this isn't the end of the world for most of your friends. If you, if all of your, you know, but if all of your friends are your church friends, then you quickly realize that like so, the, some of those relationships, most of those relationships even are built on the foundation of you um, meeting the expectation of how they see you as their pastor. And that's not, inherently negative. I want to be clear. Those, those relationships, I have many of those relationships in my life that I think are um, incredibly valuable. And I also think there are some people in church circles that are willing to look beyond that and be a friend to you literally no matter what. Um, but what I benefited from most when I went through the transition I went through last year of leaving the denomination that I was in, uh, losing my license in that denomination. And, and ultimately, um, you know, that whole process, when I went through that, I had a whole nother community of CrossFit friends and I was a coach in CrossFit. I was, I was, I had this group of people that didn't care about that and that were still my friends, that it was not awkward um, to be around them because of what I was going through at church. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm going to say this as something that I think every pastor listening to this needs to hear. You need to find a community that is not in any way connected to your church because there's going to come a time when you need support and it is not healthy for you to be vulnerable with, with, with the people at church. Mm. You need other people that can support you, that you can be vulnerable with, that can, that can let you know they're thinking about you, even if they don't believe in prayer, even if they don't believe in God. Not to mention as a pastor, it's good to be connected with people who don't believe in God. <laughs> like right <on>. like it's, good <laughs> to have, it's good to have relationships with people who see the world different than you. Um, so like, I, I can't emphasize that enough because I truly don't know if I'd be a pastor today if I didn't have that community. Like that's the severity I think it is that um, that that community gave me a space to feel loved, 
to feel like I had people in my life that cared about me. And I want to say all this to say my church deeply loved me and cared about me through the process I was going through. So I don't want it to sound at all like my church hate. No, my church deeply loved me. But what, what I was going through was so connected to the church that like going into that space and feeling love or feeling like supported was just hard. And then also sometimes I just needed to go escape it and not talk about it and, and have people that I could talk to about the basketball game last night or the foot, you know what I mean? Not, and not mm-hmm. every waking moment having to be talking about this right. one thing that we're working through. So you need that as a pastor. And if no one's ever told you that, like really, really emphasize it. I don't care if it's like a bird watching club, like how, how, how like ridiculous it might be of an idea of a hobby or whatever. Hey. Like, go, go do that. I'm not saying bird watching is ridiculous. I'm just saying like, no matter how like wild or crazy or out there it is, like go, go find that thing. I mean, to where it's like the value might not necessarily, I, what I guess I'm trying to say is the value might not necessarily be in watching birds, but in creating the relationships that happen while you watch the birds. That's what I'm saying. Like you need those um, no matter what the actual thing is, because I think as pastors, we just, we act like we don't need it. We're above it. We don't have that need. And we're typically facilitating that need for other people more than ever facilitating it for ourselves. which um, is why so many pastors burn out. Like, mm. At least that's my, my experience has been that. Yeah. And I, you're not off base at all. I don't think because even when times are good, you need to have something else because I think it's yeah. true of any, any vocation. It yeah. can be consuming of your life. Uh-huh. And that's true of pastoral work as well. It can just over, it can consume you. You wake up thinking about, okay, what I got to do today. You, what you go to bed thinking, okay, what, what did I get done or not get done today? And because of those types of dynamics, as with any vocation, if you don't have other things that you put some focus on people, hobbies, interest, then yeah, you're going to be, you're not going to be in a good place pretty soon. And, yeah, and, and yeah. Pa- pastoral ministry especially is typically you pouring yourself out for others, often rarely filling yourself up or or even pausing to acknowledge that you need to be filled up or like doing any investigatory work on what fills you up. And so like I wish someone would have sat me down when I was an undergrad studying to be a pastor or my master studying to be a pastor and like said – the most critical thing you can do for longevity and pastoral ministry is make sure you're taking care of yourself. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe someone did and I just ignored it because I thought I was better. Like, I, I don't know that might've happened, but I don't really ever remember being given that talk as imperative as hopefully people are hearing it from me right now. Cause I really do think it's imperative. Hmm. That's excellent. You kind of grew up in a reformed, um, situation or came up in a reform thing or went to, well, I I grew up about that. So I grew up, um, I would say I grew up as a denominational mutt. My parents kind of jumped around a lot. Like we were in a a lot of different churches. I worked, I I came into ministry in the BIC from a reformed context. I was there for seven years. Okay. Um, but I wasn't, I I wouldn't consider myself reformed. I don't, I think I always like had this feeling when I was in that of like, I'm exploring this, which the the community gave me space to do that, that I was the, the church I was a part of because I was the youth pastor, but then the senior pastor left with a lot of conflict and I stepped in as interim lead pastor and the church kind of grew and they wanted to solidify me as that. And, um, 
getting my credentials was hard because it was the type of, it was also the type of reformed church. I mean, the Christian reformed church as a denomination is a fairly conservative denomination. Um, at least the Wisconsin Synod is. And then, um, I mean, they also believed in infant baptism, which was something that I, I just wasn't willing to, it wasn't that I wasn't willing to celebrate my friends who made that decision for themselves and even participate in their children's baptisms and even be the pastor who would baptize those babies. Like I was totally fine with that. Um, the struggle was like for the denomination, if I didn't baptize my kids, they wouldn't credential me. So interesting. It was like, it was like, okay, <laughs> well, okay. That's the line, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so, um, it became pretty clear that like, and, and I just kind of always, I have this pretty big ethic that like, um, my family and my personal belief is not something that I can lay down for the sake of ministry. Not that I'm not willing to minister to people who see things differently than me and even minister to them in a way that is to their particular understanding of the gospel or truth or God. Um, but more to say, if I'm asked to lay down what I believe in an effort to do that, I'm just not willing to do that. And so that, that ended up just becoming a reality of like, I'm not going to baptize my kids to check a box to stay in this denomination. And that, that was really hard because we loved that church and that church loved us. And it was a very painful process because, um, you know, wanted to hang in there. So like, I mean, yeah, I have a, I have a background in reformed theology, but I also went to a Southern Baptist, you know, I went to Liberty. So, um, okay. uh, so I have two degrees from Liberty. So I, I kind of feel like I can speak to <laughs> the, I mean, and I, I hesitate to use the word fundamentalist because it's not that everything at Liberty is a, from a fundamentalist perspective. And it's not that everything in the reformed communities from a fundamentalist perspective, there's a lot of, you know, there, there's also some progressive ideas floating around it, it, it in the Christian Reformed Church too. From you know Calvin College is their college, and there's some good things coming out of there on faith and science and a desire to grow in our understanding of how those two, you know, not having to deny science to to embrace our faith. Like so, so, so I hesitate to use fundamentalist, but I would say it, it's it is a little bit of a broad brush. But at the same time, I have experience in both those communities, and my parents my parents got saved into a Nazarene church and then um, left there and we went to a Baptist church and then we went to a like independent church and then like a, an assemblies of God church. Like I was in Pentecostal circles growing up. So like I, I've really in a lot of ways seen it all. The only thing I really haven't ever been a member of or like uh, in my childhood or really ever been a part of in my adulthood is like more of like a liturgical style church. Um, but I do, attend usually like two liturgical, um, masses a year. Um, usually Ash Wednesday is one, um, at a Catholic church. And then usually another one throughout the year of just kind of like reminding myself to slow down and, and kind of understand that there's a lot of people that connect with God in this way too. So. Well, cool. I'm going to wrap it up with a few, um, fun ones. I know you love music. I see yeah. you, you post, you were posting covers for a while. I don't know if you're still doing that. Your daughter, your daughter is like, uh, I've seen her on a, cu- a couple of those, man. And she's yeah. whales and that's awesome. Oh, dude, she does. Yeah. So, uh, like today, who's, who's the, your favorite musical artist and it could be today or half yeah, an hour yeah. ago or whatever. No, uh, today, right now, local natives. Uh, oh yeah, I have a I have a huge local natives playlist. That's literally all their albums that I just threw into a playlist, and I'll shuffle that. So, um, 
they they just they keep growing on me like more and more. And then I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer too, just because that's um, okay. The other one I've I'm really been getting into is actually this one album from Band of Horses. I don't know if you know Band of Horses, mm-hmm. but uh-huh. they have an acoustic album, a live acoustic album that like I've been jamming to a lot. So Local Natives and Band of Horses are my go to, and I'm I, I guess those are my go to like music that I listen to when I'm working writing or you know just kind of in work mode and then when i'm working out it's more uh, aggressive music we'll just say that <laughs> more like <laughs> hardcore or uh, or rap you know gotcha <laughs> all right well yeah band of horses is great uh, local natives have started popping up on some of my spotify playlists in different so places good. really good stuff yeah so i good. agree yeah yeah cool well i'd love to hear something about you that not very many people know and I'm guessing a lot of other people want to know something that they don't uh, know about you. That not a lot of people know about me. Hmm. Um, okay. Uh, I always tell people I was born in Palm Springs, California. I guess I always tell people isn't the way to start something that you're saying <laughs> you, you, you want people to not know. But I think this is funny. So, so we'll do this. Uh, most people don't know this unless like, they've got to know me pretty well. Um, but I was born in Palm Springs, California. Lived there till I was eight, and then my family moved to Indiana, where I grew up on a farm. So I always tell people I did the reverse Beverly Hillbillies. Um, <laughs> went from Palm Springs, California, to a farm. Grew up on a sheep farm in uh, Shelbyville, Indiana area. So, yeah, that's uh, that's something a lot of people don't know about me or expect about me. Like when you see me as a person with a full sleeve tattoo, earrings, you know, uh, you don't think, "Wow, that kid must have grown up on a farm." You know, that's not really what you think. So it's, it's usually a little bit of like a, oh, that's, well, that's interesting. Like, you know, so yeah, so I guess that's kind of a funny thing. That is pretty funny. Was your dad in the military, mom in the military or how did that, uh, why, no, why? Um, well, my, my dad was in the military, um, okay. but that wasn't the reason for the move. He was out of the military by then. Um, so my mom, my mom was from Palm Springs. My dad was from Indiana. My dad had got out of the military actually, and just decided to drive to California and uh, met my mom. And, um, and from there, uh, and, and this is something a lot of people don't know about me that is really important. I've never met my biological dad. Uh, my dad, who I call dad is, you know, would technically be my stepdad, um, adopted me is, you know, is my dad in every way that I, you know, would understand. But, um, but him and my mom, I think got married when I was two, maybe. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, I have four younger siblings and so there's five of us total. So seven is a family and, uh, Palm Springs is a pretty expensive place to raise a large family. And so they mm-hmm. made the decision to move to Indiana. Okay. And, uh, that was kind of the, the, the reason, uh, I guess, uh, reasoning for that, uh, transition. What's the best place for people to find you if you want to be found? Is that oh, Instagram? I, I, I definitely want to. I definitely want to be found. No, <laughs> uh, Pastor Justin Douglas on Instagram. Uh, I think it's Pastor Justin Douglas on Facebook as well. If not, it's just Justin Douglas. I have some of the Justin Douglases, and then the other ones are typically Pastor Justin Douglas. But wherever you want to find me, uh, that's the best place. And then, if you're on Instagram, you can go to the link in bio and see that you'll find all the links to the podcast Beyond Boundaries. It's it's everywhere that you can get your podcasts and. Um, and yeah, if you're in the central PA area, or at this point, even if you're not, um, uh, the uh, the Belong Collective is the church that I that I pastor. You can find us uh, there, thebelongcollective.org. And uh, 
yeah, those are those are the main ways to contact me. I guess I won't give out my phone number, but yeah, <laughs> probably a good idea. I see that I've seen that a few times on on um, stuff that people have been putting out. They put a phone number out there or the full yeah. email address. I'm like, oh, yeah. you're you're not. We 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 did that. it. We did it with uh, we we got one of the Google numbers once and did it right. as a church as a church ad. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty interesting. We were, mm-hmm. we were like, text us. And uh, you get some interesting texts when you do that. <laughs> and phone calls and all kinds <laughs> yes, of stuff. Yes, yeah. exactly. Who's exactly. this on my voicemail? We can't, we can't all be Bob Goff is what I say. We can't <laughs> all be Bob Goff and just give out our phone number in our book. You know what I mean? Oh, geez. <laughs> well, Justin, I so appreciate you having this conversation with me today. Um, do you have anything you would like to add before we come to a close? Yeah. Um, well, first, I just want to say, Drew, thank you so much for having me on. This was a great time and I really enjoy your podcast. I listen regularly. So excited. I get to be a, a participant this time. But I just want to say, if you're listening to this, I mean, I, I'm making the assumption maybe you're in ministry or a pastor or interested in ministry type things. If you're listening to this, I just want to say like, find sources of encouragement. It's easy in pastoral ministry or even in volunteer ministry uh, to to just feel the weight of ministry and to, to become cynical. Um, and I just want to encourage you to make sure you're finding fountains of encouragement. Maybe this is one of those sources, um, but keep finding other sources to keep you just uh, encouraged in what you're doing and know that what you're doing is making a difference and it matters and that some, someone deeply needs what you're doing and what you're providing. And so keep going. Right on. I'm going to end with that. Good deal. Appreciate it, man. You've been listening to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Subscribe today and sign up at obscurepastor.com for my brief weekly e-letter. It's a dose of encouragement and inspiration. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Carpenter. So let's be friends.